electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Guy Adami, Steve Grasso, and Nadine Terman. Tonight on Fast, the rate reversal, 10-year yields dropping for the first time in six days. But where are they headed from here? We dig into the charts for some answers. Plus, we've got our eyes on shares of Lordstown, Sonos, and eBay, all on the move after their latest earnings reports. The team is digging in on the numbers. We'll bring you the trades. And a red flag on China, the headline that caused one of our traders to go short where he or she's putting their money right now instead. We start off with a big warning sign from a major airline, Southwest raising a red flag for future profits due to the spreading Delta variant. For more, let's get straight to Phil LeBeau. Phil. Melissa, you wouldn't see it from the way the uh, stock traded today, uh, but it was under pressure early in the day as people said, wait a second, is this what we're going to see from other airlines over the next couple of weeks? Southwest issuing an 8K early this morning, and the language is very clear. They said that they saw a drop-off in their expected revenue for the uh, August and September time frame, three to four percentage point. And that's because of an immediate, near immediate drop-off in the number of uh, bookings as well as an acceleration in cancellations. Here's the language from their 8K, and this all has to do with COVID-19 and the impact it's having on the psychology of travelers right now. Southwest saying the company has recently experienced a deceleration in close-in bookings and an increase in close-in trip cancellations in August 2021. In layman's terms, people are reassessing whether or not they want to take some trips or outright canceling them. The passenger uh, traffic levels, they've been down anywhere between 20 and 30 percent compared to 2019. That's the comparison you want to make. If you look, you're starting to see a little bit of a plateau, maybe even a bit of a pullback there at the uh, end over the last two or three weeks. So as you take a look at the major airline stocks, uh, Savvy Sith over at uh, Raymond James, she issued a note today saying, Is it possible we will hear a similar message over the next several weeks from other airlines as they reassess whether or not they will meet their internal guidance or at least the guidance they've given Wall Street for revenue projections for the third quarter? Also, keep an eye on the players who really do focus on the leisure market much more so than the business market. And by that, we're talking about Spirit. We're also talking about Frontier, uh, JetBlue. And while JetBlue does have a sizable business contingent as well, Let's see what happens with them, because that's where you're noticing the fall off, Melissa, in bookings when it comes to COVID-19. It's people who are reassessing, do I want to take that trip with my family? Do I want to go where I was supposed to go? Eh, Maybe not because Delta-19 has uh, made the uh, COVID cases surge in particular parts of the country. So there's the outstanding question as to whether or not other leisure travelers will cancel or postpone. But then we're also hearing a lot about postponements of back to office plans. And that doesn't bode well for the corporate side either. I mean, if people aren't going to the office, they're probably not going to go hop on a plane to go anywhere. That's true. That's a great point. And I think we could probably see that to a certain extent. But keep in mind, business travel is so depressed relative to where it was in 2019 that even if there is a bit of a pullback, it really hasn't rebounded the way that the uh, leisure market has. So we could see some impact there. And that, in that case, you're talking about the Deltas, the Americans, the Uniteds, who have a lot more business exposure than, say, a Spirit or a, a Frontier. 
All right. Phil, thanks. You Good bet. to see you at headquarters. Phil LeBeau. Should we be worried? I mean, we had sort of been seeing this coming. We've had a number of high-profile events canceled, going remote or virtual. Um, New York Auto Show, New Orleans Jazz Fest, Tim Seymour. So it's not entirely a surprise that maybe people are reconsidering their plans at this point. No, but, but it, look how airlines traded today. You almost get a sense that this was something that had been well-telegraphed. And, and the investment community didn't believe what I think now look like were overly optimistic third-quarter outlooks by the airlines. Um, and so you're going to, you know, reading a, a bunch of notes today, a, a couple of the folks that we follow, including Hunter K. Wolf, saying, you know, we're going to need to see TRASM cuts. And, nice. and Which is? Total revenue per available seat miles. Thank you. Um, and, and, you know, so, again, uh, you know, the capacity is down, but also uh, the revenue that they're able to, to get out of customers. The, the bigger issue for me is also where the cost base for some of these airlines is actually moving higher. So they have increased costs in terms of getting back to it in some of these uh, peak airport dynamics. Um, they have higher fuel costs. Um, and I think this is part of the story. But again, what have the what have the stocks done? Look, the stocks have, have have largely reflected some of this negativity over the last three weeks. The stocks kind of followed the bond market, right? The stock market kind of told you where I think there was some concern around Delta variant. I love when Tim uses those synonyms. Like he, the other one he uses is the ARPU. Acronym, yeah. yeah synonyms. Synonyms. Oh, it's uh, acro- yeah. What was that? It's a homonym guy. Yeah, yeah. 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 homonyms. I'm joking. No, yes. but he does a good job with those. And I will tell you, should you be concerned? You. As human beings. I think we should be concerned. But as tradings of the airlines, if you look at these stocks, they all peaked in mid-April or so. Delta, Southwest, pretty much all of them, and have come off anywhere from 18 to 25 percent. And Phil let off his report saying you wouldn't know it by the way the stocks traded today. That's exactly it in a nutshell. I think people understand that they're looking past this. They realize that maybe in terms of the stock, the worst is over. And given the sell-off we've seen, I agree. You don't have to run out and buy airlines tomorrow, but I got to tell you something. Delta to me looks really interesting in terms of where it traded down to forty dollars. That's basically where we broke up from. If you go back to January, I think you could trade Delta against forty all day long here. It is amazing that we are at a point in the markets where we can look past a surge in COVID cases. I mean, that really tells you a lot, Steve, about market psychology at this point with the S and P and the Dow basically at record highs. Yes, and so so a couple of things. First of all, uh, LUV and Delta are the two companies that going into the pandemic had investment grade balance sheets. So let's start with that. So if you're going to invest in an airline through all the smoke and through all the fires that we're seeing figuratively, those are the two to invest in. Guy mentioned about the stock, Phil mentioned it as well. But when you look at Delta, the death cross, right? So I know the guys in the death, uh, desk love the death cross. So the death cross is when the 50-day moving average or a shorter term moves below a longer term. Delta actually hit a de- death cross, and usually that's the pinnacle, not the beginning of a sell-off. So Delta hit it, which means that the stock is now buyable. LUV hasn't hit it, but it's approaching it. So I would wait for that one, but both names to me seem like they're more at the end of this cycle versus the beginning. And then Phil said it as well. We've had some seasonal slowdown. So everyone's going back to school. LUV though, 35% of their revenue is derived from corporate travel. You touched on that. I think it's been telegraphed. I think it's expected. So these are more of a buyable event versus a sellable event right now. You a buyer, Nadine? 
Well, I'd wait a little bit. I think the points are all very valid, and I think that the guy is right here. People are looking through. I think they're looking at to the U.K. as a barometer. What we're seeing in the U.K. is that the cases are falling off in terms of the acceleration. They're remaining at a high level, and obviously, unfortunately, the death rate is high. But in terms of the, the numbers, they're not accelerating. And so people can take that and say, okay, is that going to extrapolate here to the U.S.? So are we going to see maybe greener pastures on the airlines and other types of reopening plays back into the fall. And so people call it pre-ran at the last few weeks, but I would wait a little bit. On Love, I'm seeing you know, maybe a trading range of 48.50 to 52.40, but that means it's a six to one downside from here. So I'd wait to get a little bit cheaper and then pick it up. I mean, if the airlines are our true reopening play, and in fact they are, the question here now would be, well, if we're going to look past all this in terms of the surge right now at the reopening plays and bank on them going forward, then is this the best way to play the reopening, Tim? Maybe. Um, I, I, again, I, I think what we need to be doing with airlines also for Steve reference balance sheets and whatnot, and, and you know, Spirit is not one, um, but they still will have probably over $2 billion in cash and receivables at the end of this quarter. And, and so I, I think we'll have to reassess some of those metrics that we've been looking at. So I, I think if you look at Delta on a 2023 basis, you're looking at it at a 2023 basis. So the point is reopening trades. Um, I think whether you're airlines, cruise lines, uh, casinos, uh, other places that are caught in the middle of the leisure space, I, I think you have a case where going out to that 23 multiple gives a lot of these guys a lot of, a, a lot of cover, a lot of air cover, uh, maybe pun intended, for a difficult stretch that I don't think investors are, are going to fault them on. Nadine said something you don't hear every day on Fast Money. Which Guy is, is right, which is tremendous. That's true. I, I know. Yeah. Smile. See you're going to tape. It's going to be your ringtone. Guy is right. So how do you trade it? Tim mentioned casinos. Well, look at Las Vegas Sands, for example. I mean, it's pretty interesting. This doesn't come up a lot, but LVS basically has traded down the levels we last saw in April of 2020. I think we all remember what happened there. I think if you're looking for a trade, just risk-reward in some of these casinos, I think they set up really well. So if you don't want to go down the airline route, you're still concerned there. The sell-off in the casinos has been epic. I think Las Vegas Sands against 39.5.40 is a pretty interesting trade. For more on the Southwest news and uh, the potential impact on the industry, let's bring in Sheila Kayaglu, the aerospace and defense analyst over at Jeffrey. Sheila, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Should we assume to some extent that the other airlines will feel the same sort of uh, slowdown? Yeah, I think there's no doubt in that. You know, we hosted Love at our conference last week, and, you know, we heard a little bit of hesitation in the CFO's voice in terms of what they were seeing in, in booking trends. And, you know, it came out today. They, they expect revenues to be down 15 to 20 percent in Q3. That compares to down 32 percent in Q2. And, you know, they're seeing a little bit of hesitation, and that's no surprise given what we're seeing in you know, COVID rates picking up in the U.S., and this is a very U.S. airline. It's 90% U.S. exposed. So um, I think you're going to see that across the other airlines as well. Does this necessarily mean that the other airlines that are more exposed to international travel, that there's an even bigger question mark surrounding their projections? You know, we're, we're a little bit more cautious on what the Delta variant will do. Um, you know, we think you're going to kind of see this level drop out. What we've seen with uh, plane activity is it's down about 60%. And we think you're kind of going to trend at this level because a lot of the next level of pickup into Q3 and Q4 was expected to be corporate. Corporate, for instance, for Love is 35% of revenues. For Delta, it's 50% of revenues. Same thing for United. And so I think that you're going to see, you know, we're going to see flight activity kind of trend at this down 50 to 60% level for the next two to three quarters until maybe mid 2022. 
to be quite honest. So you are going to want to pick the airline that we think could outperform. We upgraded Delta recently, and that was actually on the international recovery. Um, we actually think they have a very um, lucrative potential in the transatlantic routes, given capacity that's been taken off out of that market. Sheila, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. We're, we're talking about demand side. We're talking about cost side. We're talking about, obviously, the macro around it. What, what should we be watching for the next three months to know that their businesses are getting together? Because I made a reference. I don't think we actually really trust the guidance we've been getting from the airlines. And I think it was overly upbeat going into the third quarter. Yeah, I, I, I think they set themselves up pretty in a tough spot. They said we're not seeing any impact from Delta, uh, the Delta variant. That was mid-July. And as you know, COVID rates have ticked up. You have to see people cancel bookings and reservations. I mean, we're seeing that anecdotally across the board. We're seeing corporates push back. You know, Jeffries, for instance, we pushed back our reopening a month uh, as an example. So as we see that push out, you know, airlines didn't price that in, but certainly the buy side did. If you look at airlines, they're down about 10% over the last three months, while our aerospace coverage and the S&P is up 10%. So they've underperformed by 20%. That's why you saw love up on this news today because investors are, are pricing that in and they're aware of that. And Sheila, when you think about where investors then can feel safer in terms of the duration of their trade, so getting in now versus waiting to see how the delta plays out, where in your space are you finding the most opportunity that investors could maybe take advantage of? We still like these airlines, don't get me wrong. I just think you're going to see, you know, a little bit of a turbulent ride for the next quarter or two. But we, we really like Delta. We think it's a stock that could potentially double. We think Love is well positioned, but Delta's our preferred airline flight. And, you know, our broader airspace coverage is interesting as well. Transign, for instance, put in a bid on Megit, a UK commercial airspace supplier, with a 90% premium today. So that means companies are seeing value in the longer aerospace cycle. So we like Boeing, we like Raytheon Technologies, we like Transdive, we like Woodward, um, their commercial aerospace suppliers, and of course, the OEMs. Sheila, great to have you with us. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Sheila Kayaglu of Jefferies. Guy Dami, you gave us casinos, but give us your pick in the airlines. I think meets Delta. Delta against $40. I think that's the best run, probably the best balance sheet. I would say DAL for the airlines. To answer your question without any tomfoolery, without Melissa any- Lee. Oh, very nice. Yeah, see that? Applause for actually doing that. what you're asked to do. Change. Which seems ridiculous. <laughs> um, in terms of, though, sort of down the down the chain, if you will, um, some of the airspace companies, Tim, Boeing, for instance, took a test flight in China, well, 737 MAX. Yeah, look, I, I think the Boeing story, as we know, has been highly correlated to order books and what we're seeing out of the demand from the airlines. I, you know, I, I like that what we got out of their defense sector. I like what we're getting out of where I think they stand with regulators. I think the, the, the bottom line for this company is we need to start seeing free cash flow. I, I think, look, I, you're at 12 to 18 month, uh, I think, recovery period. And again, we're looking out to 23 on airlines. That's where you are with Boeing. But yes, I'm long Boeing. Uh, and I think the worst is behind it. Nadine? You know, I'm sticking away from this industry right now. I don't mind defense. We have a position in Thales, uh, which is over across the pond. Uh, but for me, the duration's the hard time. I think you've got to wait a little bit on these before you enter. All right. Check out shares of Moderna sinking more than 15% today. The recently red-hot stock posting its worst day since May of 2020. But even with two days of losses, it is still up 65%. In the past month, Grasso, where do you stand on the valuation of this company? We just had an analyst on yesterday from Bank of America, underperform rating, $115 price target, saying it should be, well, because of the $115 price target, about 75% below where it was when the note was published. 
So it's interesting. So we went from the, these uh, stocks being the savior on the, on the front of COVID, and they were, but now we're looking at extended valuations, as you just mentioned, and as well as the next line of headlines should be about side effects and should be because this was an emergency use, not an FDA full approved vaccine. So there's going to be a lot of headwinds in the next uh, year or so. Markets always price in ahead six months to a year. But if you look at the collapse that you just mentioned, to get to the 50-day moving average, Moderna has to fall another 26%. Pfizer has to fall 11% in addition to the 5% it's already fallen to get to its 50-day moving average. What's interesting is Johnson & Johnson is not extended because it has been the dark horse in the vaccine play it's only above its 50-day by 3.5%. So if you're going to buy a vaccine play, go with Johnson & Johnson. The other two have much more room to fall, and the headlines are going to go from tailwinds to headwinds, and I don't think it's a proper place to be putting your money. And I think that's a conundrum for investors, though, because if you want a vaccine play, Johnson & Johnson, I mean, as a percent of revenues, vaccines are much smaller, obviously, than a Moderna or a Pfizer. Uh, Moderna obviously having the biggest exposure to the vaccine sort of play of the market, guys. So that's what you're buying. You're buying that that leverage to this Breathe. quickly growing growing area. A pittance, as they a say. Pittance. A so I don't know how to spell conundrum or pittance or homonym for that matter. But I'll tell you this. What's that word when people are mean to you? Vitriol, right? The, mm. the nastiness on yes. Twitter. And we got it in spades last night because we said, hey, yes. and we've been collectively very bullish in Moderna, number one. Mm -hmm. Last night, we said maybe it's time to take some profits. You know, I, I'd say, I remember what I said. I said, I don't think it's getting back down to 115, but we could easily see 325. And the nastiness was incredible. Well, it got down to 375 today on three and a half times normal volume. It might have a little bit more room, but I'm telling you, I think Moderna is a real story. I think we'll be talking about a $500, $600 billion company in a couple of years in terms of market cap. So I understand why it's sold off. I get it. I admire the analysts that put out that call. I don't think he's going to be right. But I think Moderna is pretty tradable around these levels right here, maybe down to 325. Coming up, we're taking a deeper dive into today's market action. The Dow climbing more than 220 points after a key inflation report. The traders will break it down in just a few. But first, we're all over the after-hours action in eBay. That stock is on the move after reporting earnings. We'll bring you the details when Fast Money returns. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. 
I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you. Shares of eBay on the move after reporting results. Deidre Bose has got the breakdown. Hey, Dee. Hey, Melissa. Shares lower by about 1% on those mixed results. So expectations, they were tempered since Amazon's disappointing results a few weeks ago. They painted a weaker than expected outlook for e-commerce. So you've been kind of following suit here on some key metrics, so including GMV, that's gross merchandise value, and annual active buyers. Those saw declines year over year. Guidance also lighter than the street was looking for. But CEO Jamie Ioni has been focusing on advertising and payments to counter slowdown in eBay's core online marketplace. And that helped in terms of profitability. EPS coming in about four cents better than expected. On the earnings call, which kicked off about 20 minutes ago, Ioni said that changes in its marketing mix and product investments, they've been focused on attracting and retaining enthusiasts, particularly Gen Zs and millennials. Now, in terms of which categories they're enthusiastic about, Ioni said they're seeing strength in sneakers, luxury watches, and handbags. Now, Melissa, despite that slowdown in the core business, eBay actually continues to outperform the broader markets and other faster-growing e-commerce names. Shares are up 35% year-to-date versus Amazon, which is pretty much flat. Etsy is up about 8.5% so far this year. It's multiple, though, of course, in terms of price to earnings, still trails those two names by a long shot. Back over to you. Debo, thank you. Deidre Bosa, Steve Grasso, where do you stand on eBay? So when I look at the chart, especially from the, uh, the pandemic bottom, eBay is trading in a channel, and it's actually... Uh, finding some support at the bottom end of that channel. And every time it does hit the bottom end of the channel, it usually runs about 10% from here. So we're at lofty levels if we look at the recent highs. But if I look at the price action and the chart, it tells me it infers that a 10% move higher uh, as far as uh, you know, risk reward here. So I would say I'd be a buyer of eBay at these levels, uh, just based on technicals alone. The performance is good this year, and as Debo had highlighted, the valuation looks pretty attractive relative to some of the other well, competitors, if yeah, you will. Yeah, that's not saying a lot. Look, the valuation <laughs> in, in the e-commerce world, they don't make sense. And so we're talking anywhere. So from, does this. Pre- well, it makes, it makes a little less sense. I, investors might be excited that they sold off most of their classifieds business and, and some of their Korean business. And, and uh, look, I, I think the story here is one where you continue to see these guys growing at pace or slightly less than pace in e-commerce growth overall. Um, that, I, I think there is still a need to have a lot of exposure to this part of the market. Um, I don't think you're chasing eBay by, by, by nibbling some here. I also don't think you have to. There's nothing compelling in their business in the short term. And there's nothing we heard today. The pivot to some of these higher growth areas, um, handbags, watches, it sort of reminds me of the, the surge in popularity that we're seeing in 
sites like Real Real. I think the question is, guy, when have you purchased handbags lately? He has no, purchased you know, handbags. You on say real that, real. and you're making fun of me. Why would I, Why would you ever go out and buy full? retail for Chanel bag or one of those Hermes things. There's no reason to do it. You go to the real real. I mean, you get some real bargains on Apparently that Apparently eBay wants you to go to eBay. Or go to the eBay. I will tell you, if <laughs> eBay gets down to 64 and a half, and Steve will remember this, I mean, this is where we topped out and it was an all-time high back in April, sold off, passed a resistance, become support. And I think you can make a compelling case for eBay on valuation. Yes, Third quarter guidance was not great, although operating margins were better than she was expecting. I think eBay at 64 and a half, you have to buy. Nadine? I'm a little bit lower than uh, Guy. I'm more at 63.40 if you make me buy it. But I see a negative 16% implied volatility discount. So what it means to me is that people are kind of complacent here. They're not protecting it. So it could go lower. And you've got these tough COVID comps. We saw it in Amazon, Pinterest. PayPal, you got the list goes on, and that just doesn't stop with one quarter. So I think they're going to have to dig out for a little while. I'd rather go around the world to something like Mercado Libre or another type of platform that might have some faster growth um, that doesn't have maybe as tough of comps as, as these folks that were baked in. All right, we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Yields are climbing back, and that's pushing one group of stocks into the green. We're going off the charts for a technical take next. Plus, opportunity abroad. Nadine is giving you her take on where you should be short and long overseas. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. It would be my view that if the economy unfolds uh, between now and our September meeting, if it unfolds the way I expect, uh, I would be in favor of announcing a plan at the September meeting and beginning tapering in October. That was Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan giving his thoughts on the central bank's eventual taper. His comments coming after this morning's CPI report helped the Dow and S&P 500 notch another set of record closes, sent the 10-year yield uh, lower for the first time in six days. But where are rates heading next? Let's bring in Rob Slimer of RBC Wealth Management to chart it. Hey, Rob, nice to see you. What are you looking at? Hello, Melissa. Well, let's start with the 10-year because it's so fascinating what's happened here. We had that initial bounce in 2021 uh, back to you know basically a 50% retracement of the decline that we had between 2019 and 2020. All the optimism was in cyclicals. Everyone was excited about uh, rates going higher. And sure enough, the 10-year peaks out around 180, 177 or so. And now this decline that we've had, everybody's been focused on the 10 you know, economic growth is starting to slow down. People are concerned about that, trying to figure out what's happening with the 10-year. But it's almost textbook. It's retraced almost uh, 50% of that initial bounce, right back to that 113 level. And I think coming into the end of July and the beginning of August, we saw a very nice retest of that 113. Over the last couple of weeks, this looks like a almost a classic intermediate term reversal from a technical standpoint. And rates basically came back to that uh, 50-day moving average, which we can see on the shorter-term chart. That's around 138, 
and then they stop today. That's a fairly natural place from a technical standpoint that we'd expect rates to pause. But there's a lot of support around this 130 level. And I think that the upside is probably closer to 145 to 150. And that's, again, another 50% retracement of the decline we've just seen since February. And I think the implications for that is if, if we start looking at a lot of other areas of the market, notably the cyclicals, whether that's banks or transports or a long list of other cyclical indices, they've been tracking with the 10-year lower. And many of them have come right down to the 200-day moving average or in that zone. So we've had all this optimism in February and March turn into a lot of pessimism on cyclicals. And we think, and what we've been telling clients for the last couple of weeks, is to start looking for bottoms developing in some of these areas. Now, it's convenient that the regional bank index or ETF was up as strong as it was and the transport index, the two that we're looking at here today. But they've been themes we've been discussing, and it really does fit that profile of going from excessive optimism to a lot of pessimism. Incrementally, I think what we're seeing is a leveling out in that stair-step fashion of stocks, cyclicals in particular, pulling back to their longer-term uptrends. I think they have another leg up here. They could lead all the way through to the end of the, uh, end of the year, for that matter. And on the other side, you see the growth stocks, which have just run, and now they're starting to get a little bit soft and starting to pull back. So this ebb and flow between secular growth and cyclical growth, I think, continues through year end and into 2022. Mm-hmm. I think the advantage is to the cyclicals at this point. So, Rob, let me get this straight. Um, in terms of your call for yields, it sounds like you're saying yields will likely remain in a range, which sounds actually pretty tight because you, you say 138 or so is a logical place for it to sort of rest upside to about 150 or so. That's a fairly tight range compared to the range that we've seen for this entire year. But So are we going to be in that range? And, and is a range good enough for areas like financials to actually advance? I think it is. I think we've unwound all that optimism. Uh, and the 10-year, again, in that roughly a 50 to 62% retracement would be a band that I would expect rates to uh trade over the balance of at least through the end of the quarter and in the beginning of the fourth uh, fourth quarter. But I do think it is enough for regional banks and transports and a lot of the other cyclicals. I think when you look at them from a technical standpoint, they're just getting oversold on a weekly basis, and many of them are bottoming. It's almost, I wouldn't call it textbooks per se, but it's got the right type of profile where I think the risk reward favors those areas looking through and uh, into year end and, and the beginning of 2021. Rob, thanks. Nice to see you. Thank Rob you. Slimer of RBC Wealth Management. Guy, yesterday we were talking about rates. Yesterday I dared to ask you whether this was Goldilocks, if we were entering a Goldilocks period, which I know makes your skin crawl, so I'll ask that to you again. Um, but is Rob right in that remaining in a range uh-huh. could actually be a good thing for the cyclicals? Sort of uh what was that thing that the, you just Hard. said, a Goldilocks scenario, like best of both worlds, all those right. things that make me crazy. Higher, but not great too high. Low, but you know what? It's not a great song by It's not a great song by Van Halen. But you no, digress. Be right. Yeah. I'm, listen, I remain in the camp that rates are going significantly higher by the end of the year. I am in the minority. I get it. If Dan were here, he would throw the eyes at me. He would at me on Twitter. He would do the whole thing. Rates stopped today around 136. I think we're headed at least back to 175. I think it's going to be great for banks. I'm not sure what it means for the broader market, though. But how do you play it? Citibank, we've said for a while, every time it trades down to 85% of tangible book, it's a buy. It got down there. I think it goes to 77 and a half, 78. Basically, you're not buying what Slimer's selling. I don't, 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 but that's don't, what exactly don't, what he's saying. He's saying you're saying that rates are going to go significantly high, yeah. higher, which is not what Slimer just said. 
Where do you think rates are going? I, I think rates are going higher significantly. I'm not sure, but I care a lot more about the move in banks. But Bank of America is about to break out to all-time highs. For all this pain on banks, um, we actually see uh, coming out of those second quarter numbers, we know that net interest margins are going to be better for third. We know that dividends are up. We know that the credit quality is probably as good as it's been in decades. So I, I like that trade. I also t- I suggest to investors to, to put a screen up there of things like Zoom and, and, and Peloton. And, and galactic and, and these things that to me are high multiple, uh, basically low yield stocks because they are acting the inverse of what's happening with some of the industrials and, and the cyclicals. And I think you have to be careful here. I think a lot of those stocks and Rob pointed that out. I think some of those start those charts look very dangerous here. Yeah. Steve. So I think the 10 year is more I've said this is, is more I, I never thought that rates were going to explode higher. And I think that's due to positioning. So I think that it's not really indicative of what we're seeing as far as inflation, but I think you had a bunch of people that trade in these areas that got short treasuries, and when the taper never happened, they were forced to cover, and that has kept the, uh, the yields on, uh, on the 10-year uh, quite, quite a bit lower than the really realistic realistically should be. But I, uh, to your original question of Guy, this is a sweet spot. If we can get uh, somewhere 1.5% on the 10-year, I think my Trinseo, TSE, my OLN, my WRK, I think they all work. And I also think growth works. So this is Goldilocks, Melissa, to your original premise. <laughs> On uh, hump just, day. Uh, just it makes me and it's hump day. Oh my yeah. goodness gracious! Three months away from Turkey Day. <laughs> Can you just end a debate for between Tim and I, real quick? I know you're going to be able to do this, Mel. Van Halen, David Lee Roth, Van Halen, or Sammy Hagar, Melissa Lee. No comment. Better front man. I, I don't. I, I don't want to cause better a voice on Hagar. Guys better front than what man. It is. I have to go. Please. This is not worth it. Coming up, forget the crackdown on big tech. Nadine says there's even more reason to steer clear of China stocks. She will break down how she is playing the space. Plus, shares of Sonos surging after its latest earnings report. One of our traders says there might be even more upside from here. We'll bring you all the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Recent volatility in Chinese stocks has investors like Kathy Wood keeping a, quote, open mind about the region. But one data point prompted one of our traders to make a dramatic move in the space. Nadine, what'd you see? Well, we always look at credit data. And what you saw in the last 24 hours is continued disappointing credit data. And that puts us for China overall for decelerating growth in GDP through at least the end of the year with accelerating growth of inflation. So when we look at something like that, that's an inflationary setup, and that's when Chinese equities tend to do the worst. And so you can separate out that from all the headlines and the regulatory issues that you know, we've covered ad nauseum in the past month, um, but just on a pure macro basis, this is a terrible setup. So you can short individual stocks, you could short the whole market through an ETF like the FXI, or there are long positions that are, are, are short 
Um, that one is, I think, the YXI, that ETF. They're, they're smaller than the, the long China ones. But for us, we look elsewhere and say, well, where is growth accelerating in GDP? And we saw OECD data come out this morning in Europe that said it's accelerating there. So we like a variety of countries in Europe in addition to the positions that we talk about on the show here. But you'd be good to go to France. Ireland has the, one of the best setups, actually, in the next several quarters of accelerating growth in GDP. It's a lot easier to invest in stocks when the wind's at your back versus when it's in your face. It's, it's interesting because Nadine is, is talking about just even general macro dynamics as they relate around issues that historically have been really tough for China. And, and obviously we know what the regulatory headwinds have been like in China. And, and so you know, to me, uh, my issue with shorting China, and, and clearly there are places that I think are safer than others, is that you've, you've got valuations to me at a major discount relative to their history, not necessarily even to the rest of the world. What I hear Nadine saying that I totally agree with is, is that you've got ex-China growth in other parts of both EM and the developed world, that's actually very interesting. If you look at PMIs and ISMs, I think they're, they're very exciting. The issue I have, and even though I've been cautious on a Tencent and a Baba, which are names that I have not been uh, caught, in other words, I have been bullish on those companies for a long time, um, I think China still has very much a focus on their markets and how they want to be a global center. Um, I care less about their superpower, you know, Chinese companies. Uh, I do think they could step in at any time and create a massive short squeeze that I would not want to be on the other side of. It's interesting. If Nadine is right, those comments I made about Las Vegas Sands at the top of the show might not hold up. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of concern there. I think, in my opinion, it's probably priced in, but she makes some very cogent points. FXI, I think 33.5 or so was the low back in February of 2020. I think it's trading 41.5 now. So, again, if she's right, there's still a lot of room to the downside. And Tim has spun on about Alibaba. He's mentioned this a number of times. You've had these moves to the upside, but literally until that stock closes above 235, we've seen a series of, since Halloween, boo, by the way, lower lows and lower highs. And that has not abated at all, Mel. I mean, shorting China, Grasso, a big part of that is shorting Tencent, is shorting Baba, since they are some of the biggest companies there. Would you be on board that? Yeah, I, I would be on board it. But the problem is this is so binary that it's, it's just you're judged and the stock movement is on the last headline. And I think it's become it, it used to be a, a Trump thing to be anti-China or to be combative, combative to China. Now it's become uh, an equally bipartisan issue to be combative to China. And China does enough to be combative to itself. So it's very difficult to say I'd like to go long uh, these names, but once the tide turns, this is going to be breakneck speed higher. I'm not sure we're there yet, so I would just stay out of the trade, quite frankly. All right, coming up, we're all over the after hours action shares of Sonos. The stock is on the move after reporting results. We'll bring you the details next, and there's more earnings magic on deck for tomorrow. Disney gearing up to report, so how are option traders betting on this one? Got the details and fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Sono. Shares are surging in the after-hour session. Let's get to Christina Parts for the breakdown of the company's quarter. Christina. 
Yeah, well, you know, the high-end home audio brand definitely posted a double beat on its latest earnings report in a record quarter, and the market likes it. Like you said, shares are up 8%. The company posted a surprise beat with earnings per share at $0.12 cents on revenue of $379 million, so that's 52% higher compared to last year. On the earnings call, which is going on right now, the company highlighted concerns for supply constraints, creating backlogs that could offset some revenue growth in the fourth quarter. They said they will look at product prices in the future, This question was asked more than three times on the call. But Sonos attributes strong consumer demand in this past quarter to three factors. We're listening to more audio podcasts. We're listening to audio books and other audio content. Secondly, with more Hollywood movies going straight to our TVs, consumers are looking for theater-like audio experiences. And lastly, with so many of us still working from home, constantly on those darn Zoom calls, consumers are looking to improve the audio quality of their home offices. On the earnings call as well, Sonos did bring up its lawsuit with Google. The two companies teamed up in 2013 to work on a music program when Sonos shared the blueprints to its speakers. Now Sonos is suing Google for five patents and said Google is a, quote, serial infringer on Sonos patents. But they'll have more to say when the judge issues his decision on Friday. There you have it. Back to you, Melissa. Christina, thank you. Christina Parts Steve, you've been long on this name, so what do you make of the quarter? You must like it. I do like it. And Patrick Spence, the CEO, lined out those, uh, those three uh, tailwinds that Christina just mentioned. And I think those are all still relevant. And, and where Christina just left off was this patent case that we're going to hear the uh, ruling on Friday or thereabouts. And the consensus is that it's going to be in Sonos's favor. So I would look for the stock to leg up even higher than it is now, obviously. Recent highs have been in the low 40s. But when people look at this stock, we're looking for 60 to $80, I think, is reasonable, given the, uh, all the tailwinds that the CEO has outlined. Now, when you look at the Amazon speaker, the Google speaker, this is a different product. This is a premium product that people go for when they're trying to elevate their, their homes. So this is not just the speaker that you're throwing around. This is something that's in your house, and this is best in breed, best in class. So I think the stock can move substantially higher even after this move that we're seeing on the back of earnings. Um, if people are getting out of their house more and doing other things and maybe actually going to a theater or to a beach where they are not home and not using a Sonos speaker as much, um, does that matter, Guy, in your view? Or is this part of the home improvement trade and because housing is hot, you still like this? Yeah, absolutely. And Steve's been on this for a while. Here's what concerns me quickly about the quarter. The quarter is outstanding. The one number that sticks out to me is inventories are up 100, I think, 165 per- excuse me, 69% year over year. That's a significant increase in inventories. Now, the bulls will say that's great because they're going to meet the demand that's out there. But if they don't, margins are going to get crushed. I'm sort of with Steve on this one, but it's got to close above 44, the recent all-time high in April, to really break out to the upside. Coming up, Disney is on deck. The House of Mass gearing up to deliver earnings tomorrow. Option traders are digging in. We'll bring you the details next. Fast Money's back in two. Miss a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer Cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Norwegian. Catch the full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Moving on, Disney gearing up for earnings tomorrow. Often traders are expecting some interesting news in the results. Let's get to Tony Zeng with all the details. Hey, Tony. 
Hey Melissa, yeah, Disney closed at $176 exactly nine months ago after reported earnings, which is roughly where it closed today. So we've had nine months of almost no progress. But one trader did bet that perhaps on tomorrow's earnings catalyst, that that is what it needs to propel itself back up towards the top end of the range, around $200 or so. When we look at the options market right now, it is implying a very muted earnings. Only 3.3% is the implied move, which you, if you put that into context, is the lowest implied move we've seen in earnings over the past eight quarters by a fairly sizable margin. So the trade structure that we saw here was 305 contracts of the January 2020 180-200 call spread that was purchased for about $6.60 per contract. Now, this is not a particularly large trade. About $200,000 of premium was paid here, but it is a very simple, lower risk strategy with limited risk that allows this investor to play for earnings, uh, targeting about $200 to the upside by the January expiration and risking only 3.7% of the stock's value if Disney is below $180 at expiration, but it pays out two to one if Disney is above 200 by the January expiration date. We started the show off talking about LEV, Southwest Airlines, saying that they're seeing an increase in cancellation. So maybe investors are worried that we are going to start seeing that at places like Disney. Although, strangely enough, the stock, as we've come in to make this, if this is, should have been a classic reopening trade, um, maybe more punished. The strength in the stock has been around the DTC business and the streaming business, which gets another, you know, look, the, the fast forwarding of their DTC business to 105 million subs, they'll probably be 110 uh, this quarter, they'll probably be 120 by the end of the year, only helps this company. So uh, as perverse as it sounds, the company that was beat up significantly uh, as things shut down, I actually think might actually do okay on this. Nadine? You know, our trading range is about 173 to 181. So as my kids say, it's, it's kind of like math. It's not a lot of upside, not a lot of downside. Um, it's only about 6% implied volatility premium. So there's a little bit of, you know, people putting on protection here, but not enough to get me too excited. Um, I would look elsewhere. I like LVS as, as, gosh, I hate to say guy. You're right on this one again. But uh, that's huh. another one that I like. I'd look elsewhere for a reopening trades. I almost feel like Nadine needs an organ of some sort, and Guy is a match. She's being so nice to you. Guy, did you, did you call Nadine before the show? No, did you pay I did her? Not, no, did you pay no. her or something? So I'm looking to I mean, she happens to be brilliant. I mean, good for Nadine. <laughs> yes, she is. Tony, thank you. Tony Zhang from Rosh's Action. Tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. For the final trades, go around the horn. Steve Grasso. Sonos, I'm looking for continued strength on the back of a great print that they've had. Wish them the best of the luck. I think it could move much higher from here, hoping for it. Nadine Terman. Quanta, 70% of their revenues are going to benefit from this new infrastructure bill, and they're a gatekeeper for construction labor. We know that prices for labor have been going up. Tim Seymour. I wonder if Guy Adami told her to pick that. You know, I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, Bank of America. This was quietly a show tonight about banks, I think. We were talking about rising interest rates. We were talking about fundamentals. We were talking about, I, I think, where you have cyclicality in banks and you have a great bank drop on those charts. Okay. I want the Fast Money fans to know that in one of the breaks, Melissa Lee actually said that David Lee Roth's Van Halen was the only Van Halen. She knows. A great front <laughs> I man. I didn't even know there were different Tip. singers. False. Tip. I didn't know. Lady. False. False. Blackstone, thank you, Deutsche Bank. Better late than never.
Thank you all for bearing with us and watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.